Hello friends, it's Jim Nance and it's my great pleasure to welcome you to Beyond the Clubhouse, a podcast hosted by my friend Garrett Johnston. He is a testament to one of the great things about this sport, the friendships that come from playing or even just talking about the game. And you're going to meet some of the characters that Garrett has gotten to know from this past decade plus that he's been covering the sport. You're going to hear from players, caddies, members of the media. You're going to get the storytelling, the golf news, the players' swing tips, and a whole lot of laughs. It's coming your way with this edition of Beyond the Clubhouse. Here's Garrett. Well, thanks for the introduction there, Jim. Always appreciate it. And busy week for Jim Nance and CBS. And the new partners for the BJ Championship hadn't been on there for 30 years, ESPN. Great to hear Scott Van Pelt's voice and how excited he gets for golf. That's I, I love that kind of passion that, that SVP has. And, of course, Michael Eaves and so many people from ESPN, part of the broadcast, uh, Sean McDonough, and a lot of those faces and, and voices that we're used to hearing on ESPN. So I think it's great for the game when you have a major that's on ESPN and, and you know, you get the sports fans involved, you get just the regular sports fans and it's not, you know, it feels bigger for some reason when it's on ESPN. So what a week in that regard. And, and what do you guys think of the PGA Championship? For me, I was pretty impressed with, of course, Colin Morikawa. But also the young crop of players. At one point, there were four guys who had a grand total of six starts in a major that were right there, part of those uh, seven guys tied for the lead at 10 under. That's pretty unbelievable stuff. When you got Matthew Wolf, who had never played in a major, and there he was right in the mix, had a clutch putt on, on 18 to get to 10 under, and he delivered. I thought he played pretty well. And Cameron Champ was in the mix, and, of course, uh, Colin Morikawa. I, I was pretty pumped up to see a lot of young guys hanging in there and uh, Scotty Scheffler was the fourth of, of those four that I mentioned. Scheffler I mean what experience for him playing in the final pairing with Dustin Johnson and listen I get it he didn't end up winning it ended up being Morikawa but it's valuable experience it doesn't grow on trees for a 24 year old so Scheffler don't sleep on him going forward I think he's somebody to keep an eye on I ended up writing a story on Scotty talked to his sister and family and of course they were pumped up to see how he did and just to see that he was in the mix and chasing his dream and anyway um i thought that was a cool story to see scotty and so many other players that were part of it i mean burger was flashing there early thursday friday such a confident player and there's a lot of storylines what do we think of tiger of course tiger woods finished at one under par i know it wasn't quite the week that many of us were expecting of course coming in with very little reps, but how he played on Sunday, I was pretty impressed with. Shot three under par, and his irons looked so crisp. I mean, what was the start? He was three under, I want to say, through seven. He had the round of the day going for, for, for a good part of, the, of Sunday. So encouraging signs as he leaves Harding Park, a place he had won at in 05, and, of course, in the President's Cup, going 5-0, and oh, which this is a ridiculous number. In 2009 for Freddie Couples' team, Michael Jordan, of course, cheering in the crowd that week. But, yeah, so many interesting things, I think, that came out of the week. Rory McIlroy and Justin Thomas, there was just something about they couldn't get out of neutral, couldn't get out of their own way. And, of course, we saw JT go, what, 500 through 7, right, on the start on Saturday. And it was really looking like he was going to post a number, but just ended up not quite getting it done. And, not, you know, I think he finished one under 
for the day or one under total at that point. So just not really getting in the mix. Interesting, as I say that, it makes me think of Morikawa because Morikawa was only two under par entering the weekend, right? A plenty of guys in front of him in the lead. And I remember seeing them actually, uh, I, them being Morikawa and his caddy, JJ Jakovac, who, as you know, is my guest this week. Really fun stuff with JJ. But they, with, with very little fanfare, JJ and, and Colin arrived at the range on Saturday morning. And of course, there's no fans, so I get that. But Almost nobody watching, no volunteers out there, very few um, course employees or PGA of America people. It's just those two and like one other player at one point on the range in the early part of Saturday before the round started. So, hey, there's a chemistry, a really tangible chemistry between Colin and JJ. And I think that comes across, you'll hear in this interview with JJ and how much they respect each other and, and like to make fun of each other and just a back and forth, which is, I think is fun. And so we'll get into that. But of course, other, another player I wanted to talk about is John Rahm. And oh man, Rahm was in the mix. I thought on late on Sunday, it was actually looking like he was going to post a number where the leaders were still barely teeing up. It looked like he was going to post a number that, that maybe was going to be relevant. And he didn't, you know, get to seven. I know Reed got to seven under, you know, that ended up being what six behind what, what the eventual win would be. But Hey, give John Rom credit. I mean, he was totally out of it. The first couple days, you know, played with Phil Sergio, Sergio played horrible. And, Rom just found a way, even if he was didn't have his best stuff, he just found a way to still get in a tie for 13th and in the end and still just speaks to his talent, speaks to his resolve when he's tested and when he doesn't have his best stuff. So I thought that was a good takeaway from Rom. JT, of course, number one player in the world, not quite having his stuff as we kind of talked about McElroy as well. Um, Jason Day, nice to hear, uh, see a little flash from him. That there's still some life, you know, and it sounds sounds so critical to say that, but you need to see this sometimes in the majors again, especially with all the withdrawals he's had, and the back. And speaking of back, some injuries. It wasn't quite the back, but laying on his back was Brick Kepka. If you guys remember, there on Saturday, that was crazy just to see him. That the visual of him getting all stretched out with his legs, and you know, he ended up really struggling on Sunday. And what did you guys think of his comments? Of course, when he looked at that leaderboard, I thought that he was pretty spot on, honestly, when he said, Hey, look at that leaderboard. And you know, Dustin's he's converted one of these, he's got one of these. And I, I, I've capitalized a lot of times in this position. And he, I think he also said that a lot of the players up there hadn't won much other than DJ when it comes to majors, of course. And he's right. He's just stating the facts. He has capitalized. Dustin totally has not. And I'm not, you know, I'll go on a Dustin Johnson rant here real quick before we get into this interview. Dustin Johnson has been one of the most disappointing players in major championship history in the last 10 years. Without question. I, I You can quote me, take that straight to the bank, whatever you want to do with that. Look how he struggled when he's had leads. I mean, I, listen, I get it. Early 2010, I know that was the first time he really experienced it. But he was paired with a guy that was hitting it 35 yards behind him. Okay, Graham McDowell on that Sunday at Pebble Beach, and he could not get it done. I get he had pressure, the pressure of a major championship. Sure, that, that comes into play, but you still have the advantage. You had three, four-shot lead going into that day, and he had no chance after three holes. That's just amazing stuff. And, of course, 
2011 Open Championship. Remember, he was right there in the back nine before he hit it out of, before he hit it out of bounds on the 14th hole, that par five, a two iron straight out of bounds. And then, of course, the three putt he had at the U.S. Open in 2015. And, of course, that how can you not call that a choke, right? I mean, that's about as big as a choke can get. And then the very next major championship, a month later, what does he do? Has the 36-hole lead. I talked to Tommy Fleetwood that week, and he said, yes, Dustin Johnson should be the favorite this week. And he was. And he gets the 36-hole lead and shoots a 150 on the weekend. Never a chance on the weekend. Like, are you kidding me, DJ? So that's just some of the heartbreak. I get he won a, a U.S. Open the next year, 2016. Good for him. That's great. But to be 36 years old and that talented and to have one major championship to speak of at this point, as as we talk about it, is really alarming to me with the talent he has and the opportunities he's he put himself into. Heck, even the U.S. Open two years ago, 2018 at Shinnecock, just was right there, had the lead or share of the lead. 36, 54 holes was part of that narrative and just couldn't get it done. At a certain point, you have to make a decision. What do you think about DJ? Is he an underachiever for his talent? I think that is as fair a statement you can say, underachieving for what God-given talent he has. So that's my thought on DJ. Anyway, done with the rant. But yeah, let's get to the interview here with JJ Jack of Heck, of course, the caddy for Colin Morikawa. And listen, going into this week, Morikawa was somebody I was looking at. Now, okay, you're going to say, okay, please, how are we going to believe you? Well, I was comparing the numbers and figuring out why I, I had a hunch that Morikawa was the best of the big young three. And actually, my friend Mark Rolfing did as well. So we kind of did some number so we kind of did some number digging, and I found out, really looking deep at the numbers, final round scoring, right? Since all of them turned professionals, who had the best scoring average, right? And between the three of them, Hovland, of course, a hot player, really streaky, has the best final round scoring average, 69.44. This was through Memphis going into the PGA Championship, right? Morikawa was about a half shot behind at 69.83. But when I dug a little deeper and, of course, wasted, well, you could call it two to three hours in my hotel room looking at, okay, in those final rounds, how many opportunities did they really have a chance at winning before they played those rounds, right? So I came up with a stat entering the final round within three shots or with the lead who between Morikawa and Hovland, who had the better score. I know Wolf was, was out of it compared to them at that point. So... What I found out, Colin Morikawa averages 66.33 in final rounds when it mattered, when he has a chance to win. Hovland, 68.66, almost two and a half shots. Now, this is not even including the 65 that Morikawa shot in Sableford format when he got his first win in Reno. So when you put that in, guess what? He shoots 66 in, on average, with pressure on him. And that's the point that I really want to get to with Morikawa is that he plays under pressure. He puts himself in position to win more than the other two young guys and then a lot of players on tour. So you have to be so impressed, and I am, with Morikawa because he, he knows how to deal with pressure. And the other thing is adversity. He has really responded well to adversity in the last few months, right? 22 straight Made cuts on the PGA Tour. Impressive start, right? As soon as he misses a cut, what does he do? Responds with a win against 
a solid Justin Thomas, as tough as they come out here at the workday, right? He responds, especially to that 50-foot bomb, and and stays in it. So that shows a lot about his his uh, desire to, to, to kind of stay in things. And then also misses that two, two-and-a-half-foot putt to keep the playoff going with Berger. And then, of course, he goes on a couple weeks later and wins by, by putting the lights out, right, when it mattered against Justin Thomas. And to add to that, he's made some tweaks to his putting very recently in the last couple weeks. And that is what one of the things we really get into with J.J. Jakovac here is he explains some of the thoughts that were in Colin's mind the week before the PGA Championship, what he had to do. He noticed a problem with his putting, something he needed to address, needed to fix. He did, and that's all in the upcoming interview here with J.J. This is an awesome one. And you should listen to who J.J. gets congratulated by and gets to spend 15 minutes with after the, the victory. Of course, Morikawa calling has all these, all these media obligations. J.J. had some time on his hands, and he lucked out and ran into one of the top five, top six athletes of the last 20 years and got to spend time with them. So hang on. You're going to love this. Colin Morikawa's caddy, J.J. Jakovac. I'm beyond the clubhouse pod. Well, pleased to be joined by my guest this week, JJ Jakovac, who caddied for the winning player at the PJ Championship, Colin Morikawa. JJ, how's it going today? It's going great. How are you, Garrett? Thanks for having me. <laughs> I'm good, man. Um, major championship winning caddy. What does that sound like to you? It's pretty awesome. I mean, uh, uh, there's not a lot of people that can say that. So that's a, that's a cool thing. And um, I mean, that's what we're all, you know, that's what players play for, but that's what caddies caddy for also. It's, it's, you want to win at the, against the best players, the best fields or the best courses. And um, so to get one of those under my belt, is pretty cool. Um, been doing it for 12 years now, um, you know, starting on the nationwide tour, then got to the PGA tour about, 10 years ago and um, my first major win. So um, has a lot to do with the player, obviously that's uh, <laughs> fluff, fluff, you know, fluff told me when, when I first started out here, I said, how do you become a great caddy? And he said, you want to be a great caddy, get the best player. And that's couldn't be, that couldn't be closer to that. Couldn't be more true. You know, I mean, you can be a great caddy. If your player is not a stud like this one I got now, then it doesn't really matter. Definitely. And, and obviously, you've had quite a pro career. Of course, you played the pro ranks, and many people may not know that as much. But of course, eight hole-in-ones in your life, <laughs> a stat that not many people know. Um, yeah. What was it like, I should say, to caddy? What was the hardest hole to caddy at Harding Park on Sunday with the pressure of trying to win the first major for Colin? Um. So, hmm. Such a variety, risk reward yeah. sixteen, and you it's know, a good so question. Much. I mean, I, I don't think it. When you're out there in the moment, there, you, you. I mean, looking back on it, I. Um, God, I don't. I don't honestly. I don't. I mean, to caddy, I'm just caddying. I'm doing my job no matter what, right? The situation is, I'm, I'm trying to figure out, you know, situations and risk rewards and things like that on the fly. But like, I mean, the guy. Something that didn't get talked about very much um, with all the stuff he did on 14 and 16, he made putts on, well, he made two long putts. They talked about that on the front nine for par, like a 20 
three footer on one. Number one, yeah. And then, and then he made it had to be a, I don't know, twenty five or thirty footer on six for par. But the the big putts that I, as far as I'm concerned, because there are so many people so tight, he makes a birdie putt on, gets two good shots on the ten, the par five from, to the front edge, puts it up there right next to the hole, close was nice, and then but then eleven, twelve, and thirteen, he had putts of. I would have to say four, six, and five feet in a row. And don't get me wrong. I mean, most pros are going to make those. But in that situation, I watched the replay, and a couple guys that were in those spots missed one of those putts. And he made all three of those to stay within striking distance and then do what he did on 14 and 16. So to me, those – three in a row par putts from out, you know, they weren't tappins. They were by no means tappins. They were four to six and a half feet and they, he made them all right in the middle. And that was the biggest, I mean, you asked what the hardest part to caddy was. It's hard to answer that, but that was a big moment in the tournament. Those three holes early on the back nine, making those par putts. It completely changes your mind, his mindset. I'm sure if he misses one of them, because we go now to a shot back of six people and it becomes a whole different story. So. Right, because at that point, it, you know, it would have been seven guys, as you had mentioned before, seven guys at 10 under, and you really want to be in that position and stay up there, right? Yeah, you can't afford to make a bogey at that time, for sure. And that's what a couple of the people did, you know. Um, the Yeah, th- that was incredible when I looked at the leaderboard at 14, and there's seven guys tied for the lead with six holes to go. The leaders had – the last group had six holes to go. That's unbelievable. I don't – I don't remember anything like that. Gosh, in a major, you know, yeah. the drama. Yeah, the adds to the drama of it. What, what, you, what you just mentioned, though, JJ, the putting, clutch putting when it mattered on Sunday, out of your guy Colin. Yeah. I mean, what have yeah. you? What have you seen? What's been your perspective? You you work with him on the range every day. You know, at a tournament, pre-round warm-up. You've seen his putting stroke and confidence. How has that evolved here? Maybe in the last recent month or two. Yeah, it's really just uh, it's really just the last couple of weeks. He made an adjustment on Friday at the Memorial. Or sorry, not the Memorial at uh, Memphis. We were yeah, no, no, at Memphis at workday. He was still honestly, if he if you asked him, he would still say he wasn't where he is now with his putting. He he was he got hot and made a couple, but he was inconsistent with his speed still. But since since Saturday at Memphis last two weeks ago, the World Golf Championship, I mean, we were I think we were in fifty fifth place, and then he shot seven under on the weekend gained I think five shots putting and finished top like a backdoor top 20 and he was just you could just see it he was confident with his putting and that little adjustment just getting his weight a little more forward um and then um this week I mean his putting even the first two rounds I mean it was he he actually if you if you look I mean I know he led proximity to the hole but for him he didn't hit the irons as well as he normally does what he did was drive it really well his still he still led in proximity because he drove it well, but he's normally going to hit. Now, don't get me wrong. There's some long holes at Harding, so hitting six and fives and four irons in are different than hitting nine irons and eight irons in. But um, he didn't hit it super close to the hole for the most part. But he hit a lot of greens. He drove it in the fairway, and then he putted wonderful all week. Well, and like you said, it was a slight adjustment of the weight to the to the left side. Yeah, to the front yeah side. he was. Yeah, we just got him to be a little more. I mean, it's probably not even noticeable to a, to someone who just watches on TV or whatever, but he's just slightly stacked more to his left side. He's got his head more over the ball instead of behind it. And um, 
it just it, his strokes flowing like beautifully now it's he, he gets through the putts his speed consistency is much much better um and he's confident and he's got a, i mean he's always had a great stroke i've always told him you've got a great stroke you just gotta match the speed up you know matches because you can't make putts if no matter how good you read them or how good you stroke it if your speed is not what you intend it doesn't matter you know you mm. have to there's many, there's many ways to make putts, many different speeds, and you have to match them up. So that's what he did beautifully for the weekend in Memphis and then all week at the PGA. Was this putting change something that you noticed with him or his coach or even, even Colin on video? Or? Uh, yeah, I mean, we just talked about it. We were just kind of throwing – it was just him and I on the putting green heat because he never practices after rounds really, and we decided to go hit a couple putts after his Friday round because he was pretty frustrated with it. and we just kind of threw darts at the board and said, get your weight a little more forward and let's see what that looks like. And instantly when he did that, it was, I was like blown away. I was like, Holy, your, your putter's going through the ball better. You're, you're finishing your stroke. You're keeping your, I mean, it made, to me, it made everything look, I mean, it's the smallest adjustment, but it made everything look different. Definitely. Yeah. I, I can understand just, it, it's a game of inches too in golf. It's not just football and yeah. <laughs> some of the other sports. Um, what, how would you describe that win? I mean, what did it feel like the emotions of, of that finish for you? Um, you're talking about after um, when we were done on 18 or yeah. Yeah. And, and just the, I guess the impact of it, right. Cause you're a Northern California native. Yeah, I mean, yeah. how often are majors going to be ever as close to Napa, California, where you're from and, and just, just the emotion of that whole finish yeah. for you. Um, obviously really weird with with no no fans because that's a major and it's going to be super well attended in a normal situation so um i was just so proud of him i mean i got choked up when i gave him that hug on the last green because it, it was kind of hard to, to know for sure because i the last leaderboard i had saw was on 17 so i didn't know what dj was doing i thought i thought that he could still get to 12 if he went birdie, 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 but I, but I also knew that there was a scenario where he could hole out on the last hole if he got there to, to tie us. So, I mean, I was, you know, we were, I mean, I, I saw the replay. They actually, right after he put it in, they said he was, he was the winner. So it was, it was clearly, it was clear later that it was clear that he had won, but at, at the, at the exact moment, I was 99% sure that he won, but I didn't know for sure, but I gave him that hug and I was just told him, I'm so proud of you. And I mean, he, I was, he was, He's like a, he's like an old soul. He's, his, his maturity level is just shocking how good it is. I mean, I have all my caddy friends that I've had out on tour for a long time. They all say the same thing. They just go, I can't believe how mature this kid is. He's just like, he's unflappable. And it's pretty amazing for a 23-year-old to have that. Not to mention all the phenomenal skill he has and not to mention that he's one of the best people I know too, you know? So it was, emo it was emotional for me. I mean, I some some are different you know i've won been fortunate to win quite a few times on tour now but never major and it's just it's a different it's a different feeling for sure and what was his response like to you obviously when you got choked up and you said hey i'm so proud of you like what what was his uh, response there he i think he i don't know i think he said i think he said you too and but i mean he's got to go do i mean he's got to i went and put the flag in and he's got to go do three hours of media and sign his scorecards and take i mean he's we talked about it afterwards though and i you know, told him again how proud of him I was. And um, yeah, he's, I sent him a text today. And I said, uh, I said, I just wrote, you know, you won the PGA championship yesterday. <laughs> and he wrote back, uh, asterisks, we won the PGA championship yesterday. 
So that was, that made me feel really good. I said, I said, don't get carried away, but thank you. That, that means a lot. That is, that's pretty awesome stuff. It's team, right? I mean, when it's all said and yeah. done, right? No, I think it definitely is. I mean, any, from the agent to the coach, to the caddy, to the player, if you put a, if you're going to be really, really successful in this game, you have to have a plan and a team and you have to have people that you trust around you to execute it. So I think that's definitely a common denominator among the best players. Certainly. Oh, I got to imagine. Yeah. With, um, you know, Spieth has always talked about his team over the years. We, 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 yeah. and you had mentioned, of course, the, the clutch putts he made from 11 to 13. Of course, he got up and down on 10, uh, kept the momentum going. But when you get to 14 and mm-hmm. it, we're deadlocked, we're talking six, seven guys deadlock at 10 under par. And what was the thought going into that chip on 14? You know, I know that you guys didn't know it was going to go in. It, obviously there's no way you could have known at that moment, but what was the game plan? Um, with that chip so actually I'll tell you I'll start on the tee Um, that's an uncomfortable tee shot for him the wind's off the lake straight left to right he's a cutter there's a big tree that's like 100 yards out a kind of overhanging the left side of the fairway so for a cutter with left right wind you want to have all the room in the world left to start the ball and cut it Um, he hadn't hit good tee shots on that hole um, all week really and then he hit another one that was, it was okay, but it was going to be a little right. And he actually, I, I actually went to use the restroom right when the ball was in the air. Cause I knew it was going to be in the rough and I'm halfway down the hill to go use the restroom. And he, he says, it's in the fairway. And I'm like, I looked back up the hill. Cause I was already couldn't see. I'm like, no, it's not. He's like, yeah, it landed in the rough and bounced in the fairway. So you, I don't know if you could tell on TV, but it landed two yards into the right rough cutting and it kicked straight left in the fairway. I'm like, all right, let's go take advantage of it. Then he didn't strike the shot like he wanted to on the next hole obviously i mean on the next shot um but if you're gonna miss it that's a good spot to miss it because we walked up there and his lie was perfect sitting up on that pole it kind of teed up into the wind it looked difficult on tv and it was difficult in the situation but i would have been i would have been surprised if he didn't hit it inside four feet it was not it's the shot you practice all the time little open face spinner but that being said to, to make it was pretty spectacular. Um, I actually told him walking up, I'm like, you can make this just like that. And, uh, and he took his practice swings. He came off perfect. And he actually told me later that he thought it was going to be short. He thought it was going to stop just short, but it just trickled over the front edge. And that's his reaction was kind of like shocked. And you know, his face was like, Whoa, yeah, good. It went in. Um, so obviously a, m- a massive shot. I mean, you know, if we ended up winning, that would have been the shot of the tournament without the one on 16, but then he does what he does on 16. And that was even better. Right. Well, cause that chip in gets you one head. Finally, it was just so Somebody locked to 10. Out, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Somebody broke out. And so now with a one shot lead on the back nine of a major championship, your guy pulls driver on a, a go, go for, you know, risk reward hole. Uh, what was the, the discussion like going into that club choice? So he, on 15, he had a really good, really good three wood off the tee and then hit the wedge up there. Really nice shot to like 16 feet. And he misread the putt a little bit, makes par. Then we go to the next tee. And so in what's going on in my head after he misses the birdie putt on 15 is, okay, I know the tee, where the tees are. I know what the number is. The wind's in off the left. First thing goes through my head is, is for him, it's a perfect driver number. It's not like some of the real long guys, it's, it's weird. It's an awkward yardage. Uh, 278 front, 290 something hole. The, ground's getting firm so if he hits a good driver he's going to fly it just short of the front edge and it's going to bounce up on the green so that's the first thing that I thought then the second thing I thought was I saw Casey putt putt 
we were waiting for the green to clear and I watched, you can see the green obviously. Yeah. And I watched him put, make like a five footer and they clapped. So I'm like, well, that's a birdie. So now we're tied for the lead. And I knew that I knew for sure we were going to get the 12 under at least. So I was like, in my mind, it was for sure driver, but I don't want to make him, I don't want to make him, I don't want to say that first and, and make him uncomfortable if he doesn't like hitting driver. So I just walked up there and I gave him the number and I said, what are your thoughts? And he said, is it a little in off the left? And I said, yep, it's a little in off the left. He's like, it's a perfect driver then, isn't it? And I said, it sure is. And he grabbed driver and we just talked about the line and where the wind was. And to be honest with you, he had hit at work day when we played the Mirfield village 14th hole is usually not drivable during the Memorial, but for the work day, they moved the tee up like three or three of the days. I think they moved the tee up and it's a really tight shot. It's, it's actually probably tighter than the one on 16 because there's water right and left is um, you got no, no shot from left, but we hit driver that day, that three days and hit it really good. One day it is like 12 feet. Um, and he hit th- three of the best drives he hit that whole tournament were on that hole, drivable par four. So in my, in my head, when he was over the ball, I was just thinking about 14 at, um, 14 at the work no day, yeah, and, he day sh- yeah. and he hit this shot and it came off perfect. And you can see me on, on the telecast because the trees where the caddy's standing, the big trees are in the way from to see the green. So he hits it and it comes off perfect. And I ran, so it's halfway there and I run out of the tee and you can hear both me and Colin saying just one straight bounce one straight bounce because if that ball it was cutting towards the pin and short of that green can kick right into that bunker which is not great i mean you can get it to 15 feet but and that first bounce we i saw it and it went dead straight and i was like oh my god what a golf shot because i knew it was going to get there and i knew it was online so i knew it was going to be really good i mean it was to the point where it, I don't know if you could tell on TV, if it has a little more steam on it, it's has a chance to go in the hole because it's breaking, it's moving from left to right. It's breaking towards the pin. It's like shockingly at the pin. And then we didn't know for sure where it was. I mean, I, I thought it was really close to the hole cause we heard him being pretty loud. And then he walked over to the bag and, and we looked at each other at the same time. We said 14 at work day. And I was like, yeah, or a Memorial or Mirfield. I think we said, yeah. Gosh. So, but then at that point, not that it doesn't matter. Uh, if you don't, it, it matters if even if you miss the putt, but that was a very important putt to hold because being two shots up is so different than being three or one shot up in that situation. So to make the putt two was obviously massive. Yeah. And we could see Casey uh, on the telecast. You could see Casey looking back and knowing, Oh gosh, yeah, <laughs> he, he knew yeah. what he had to do at that point with two holes mm-hmm. to go. Mm-hmm. No mistake for him. Uh, when did this start to feel real for you? Uh, you know, because I know you texted Colin, as you, as you said, um, t- today, two days later, but when did it really start to, f- to sink in? I mean, what, was it still when you were at the course or at what point did it really start to sink in for you? Yeah, it was still when I was at the course. Um, when he was doing, when he was doing all his media and um, just kind of sitting there talking, I, I talked to my dad a little bit. I talked to my wife. And just um, thinking, holy, holy crap, he just won a major. I mean, it was, it, it definitely was surreal for the first hour or two. And I'm sure it's still sinking in for him, but it was, I, I was starting to um, realize it kind of an hour and a half or two hours after we finished how, how, uh, how cool it was and how, honestly, how that shot, I mean, that shot he hit on 16. I don't, I'm not a great golf historian, but 
it's got to go down as one of the best shots in major championship history in the situation. I mean, it's, you know, yeah. it has to tie for one shot or tie for the lead at the point with Casey and six world-class players, one shot back. It's, and he hits that shot and holds the putt. I mean, it's, it was a big time shot. And it, yeah, it's, it's for your first major championship. This isn't like you're, you're just playing in a regular event, you know, going for win number 10, win number 20 in a regular event. This is for your first yeah. major and you've only been pro for a year yeah. on tour, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what they said. I mean, it was, it was the, the entire field. I read something, the entire field, like, uh, 70, I want to say 71 of the players went for the green on Sunday and one person did hit it closer, but he hit it to seven feet on a hole where only I think 14 people hit the green all day. And he did it on with three holes to go leading a major. So that's, it's not, like you said, it's not like he did it on Saturday or he did it on the front nine on Sunday. It was three holes to go. It was like, okay, it was winning time and he, and he did it. So. And that's 16, of course, and then 18. I, everybody loves the reaction of, of Colin leaning there on his approach shot. I mean, what, what did you make of that? And what was the discussion like after your, it was totally fine? It, it could have, you know, it was rolled down to what about, was it 8, 10 feet? It was probably 8, 10 or 12, or it was probably eight, 15 or 18 feet past the hole. But, I mean, obviously we know we're two up and we're trying to hit that ball 25 feet right of the hole right in the middle of the green, there's a black triangle that we both said, okay, we're going to hit right at that. We got the, it was really cold by then. The ball was not going very far anymore, but it was straight downwind. And we had, a, I mean, it was really a, couldn't have been a better number. It was 161 or something to the hole. And he had, um, we're trying to land at 155, like right in between the front edge and the pin and little right of it. And it was, so it was just a perfect normal choke down good nine iron. And yeah, he just got, he just pulled it, but that's where you, that's why you aim 20, 25 feet right because he pulled it right at it. And it, I mean, it actually was close to coming down. We were right on top of that little ridge, so you could tell how soft he hit the, the putt and it got all the way to the hole. Like if it if it gets a foot shorter, it rolls down to that ridge to about six feet probably. But um, and once it got once I saw where it ended up, it was like okay, there we go. We all know Colin's a very relatable guy. Um, please tell me JJ that you gave him a hard time after the top of the trophy fell off. And he had oh, yeah. Fix oh, yeah. That. I mean, what was that like for you guys? Oh, it was awesome. I was standing right behind all the media when that happened and his face was priceless. It make, like you said, he's relatable and everyone likes that big smile and stuff. So, but apparently, well, I don't understand how the PGA of America does not tape that. Apparently it's happened like eight times, like happened to Rory. It's happened so many times during the ceremony. I mean, I know that, Maybe they should know that if there's a lid on it, it's not attached. But when they're in that moment, are you kidding me? They're all they're thinking about is they're excited, and it's super heavy too. So he's he's you can see him putting on his knee to get a good grip on it to like give it a shake and triumphant raise. And um, but yeah, the lid's not attached, so he learned that the hard way. But it made for really good memes, I guess. I saw some funny ones. <laughs> well, what was Colin's response when you and other people around him gave him a hard time there in the aftermath of that? Oh, it was nothing. It was he kidding me. He just won the, he just won the PGA. He thought it was funny too, actually. He just went with it. Nice. Um, well you talk about talking to your dad and talking to your wife, Amanda in those moments, like how, how cool was that to kind of connect with your family and and such a huge moment in your career after a win like that? Yeah, it was awesome. I mean, um, my dad was, my dad was super excited for me. You know, I used to play and he started caddying and he said, I'm proud of you. You're, 
you turned in you he said you were one heck of a player but you turned into one great caddy and I was like well thank you and um it was cool to talk to him and talk to my mom and I talked to my wife like you said and um everyone was just super excited and um just really fun to get to see a kid like that um you know I mean he's got a lot he's got a lot to do in this game there's no question about that but it's just cool to see somebody and it's what was really cool for me actually was his coach that he had been, has been his coach since he was eight years old drove up from LA that morning so he was there and um, awesome I might get choked up about it right now it was just really really cool to see you know that that interaction because you know you coach someone from when they're eight years old they just win a major when they're 23 it's pretty pretty cool yeah, all that time that he had spent with Colin over the years, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, and, and, and yeah, at yeah. that point, it, it's delayed gratification. Like, it, it's a sacrifice that he made of driving to L.A. for that moment because you can't, you can't replicate it ever again. It's the first yeah. major championship. Yeah, and I wouldn't even call it a sacrifice. I mean, he, there's his, you know, one of his best friends and is in, in, the, in the hunt in a major. It would, he would, you know, do it in a heartbeat. There's nowhere else he'd probably want to be in that spot, in that moment, you know? Man, what a what a cool thing! And, and you had yeah. said you had said JJ that um, you guys had talked two or three hours. You and Colin had talked a little bit after after the championship, after the win. And um, w- w- did you guys get to kind of break down the play by play, or what was that discussion like? Just thinking about you know how it yeah. Once he got done, once he got all the way done with all his media and stuff like that, we uh, the PGA of America had a room upstairs in the clubhouse, and they ordered us like some dinner from the Harding Park. Um, thing it was like I mean it must have been nine o'clock by then but we so we just sat down and um, had a glass of wine and a good meal and we just kind of reflected on it and talked about it and we talked about it all and we talked about to, like what I told you we talked about those putts those 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 putts on the early on the back nine that were I, I thought were massive for the day to turn out like it did you know and how is the celebration if it has continued because I know you're back in in Vegas now at your home. Um, seeing your son Bo and, and just all these things that have happened in the last 24 hours since all this 48 hours. I mean, wh- how has the celebration continued? Uh, for, it hasn't really for me or Colin, I don't think, cause he's been doing media literally all day, but, uh, and obviously, I mean, Bo, I have a son, his name's Bo and he's, he's got no clue what happened. Obviously he's two years old. So he's, <laughs> he's just, I've been chasing him around all day. And, um, but I think we're going to go, I think we're going to get together for dinner tonight um and maybe i'll have a beverage out of the wanamaker who knows <laughs> out of the trophy right yeah mm-hmm. what would be the beverage of choice out of the wanamaker that's a that's a big trophy as big as any probably, sh- uh, probably some champagne yeah probably some champagne i would imagine right <laughs> well hey you're a napa native i mean you've got to go with something wine related right yeah, something wine related exactly and <laughs> and nothing says celebration like a bottle of champagne so I'm sure that's what we'll do. Awesome. Um, so just, just wrapping up here. So obviously so rewarding for you talking to your family, but I, I was curious. Um, we talked about the putting change and some of the technical stuff with Colin for, for my listeners that, that see Colin Morikawa practice on the range and see his warm up, And he's re- one of the great iron players alive right now. You know, I've seen him with different things. He says to be creative. I know he said that to me at Bay Hill. He likes to stay creative, but, but what can we learn from him? Um, well, one thing you can learn is, uh, he, he doesn't go overboard on golf swing. 
which is, I think, a really good thing. He, like you said, he likes to stay creative. He doesn't, he's not a big practicer ball hitter on the range. He, he does a, he does a fairly short warm up. Um, you know, he does stretching and, and mobility things, but he just hits a few clubs with his sandwich or a few shots with his sandwich, eight iron, five iron. That never changes. It's sandwich, eight iron, five iron. And then some of the bigger clubs, but it's not, it doesn't take very long. It just basically get to get loose. But I mean, I think overall it's, you don't want to um, wear yourself out before you go play. I mean, you want to get a little loose and then whatever you got that day is what you got. There's no, there's no reason to sit there for and hit two, two or three bags of balls. Cause you got what you got. It's not going to change on that day. And sometimes some days are different than others and you got to make little adjustments, but um and another thing you can learn from him is that no one can hit the ball like he can. <laughs> I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like he's, his body moves, his body moves for to hit a golf ball. Pretty amazing. If you watch a swing in slow motion, just that, that bowed left wrist and that lower body moves like a swivel out of the way and keeps rotating. And it's just a super consistent little cut, which is uh, very easy to caddy for. <laughs> Well, you mentioned his body and the way he's able to hit the ball with his body. I saw him on Saturday. You guys were two under going into the day, six back, and things were so calm on that range. But I saw him warming up. The very first thing he did was lean on a club and just kind of swing his legs out, like sideways and then like straight on. Things like yeah. that. Yeah, he just does, he's just loosening his hips up, I think, when he does that. He does it pretty much every day. And then he does um, – He's got a, a rubber mobility band that he stretches his shoulders and his upper body out with. And just it's, I mean, it's really just like a 60 second thing just to get everything a little activated before he starts swinging. Um, but yeah, it's a definitely a good thing to get your body, get your body moving. And I, I mean, I, he stretches in his hotel room before he comes out a little bit too. So you do, you definitely to get the best, most out of your body. You want to get it. Um, you don't want to just grab a club and start swinging. You want to get, get it ready to start swinging. Definitely. Yeah. And, and, and just as we wrap up here, this last couple minutes, um, who did you hear from in the golf world that we might know? I, I know you're close with a lot of caddies, uh, of course, just cause you've been your profession for 12 years, but what were some, some cool uh, people to hear from uh, and messages? Marco Mira, I've known him for a little while. Um, he's a big fly fisherman and so am I. So I've talked to him multiple times about fishing trips and where to go and things like that so he texted me a couple times and he's actually got a chance to play with Colin a few times so he's he's just said super happy for the team you guys do great together and a lot many more to come so that was cool um uh probably the coolest was when we were at the tournament and we got done Steph Curry was there watching us and I've been a Warrior fan my whole life so I told him uh we were, I saw him out there and on the 10th tee, Colin hit his shot on Sunday. And I looked over to him and I went, Warriors. And he just gave me like a three sign on his head. And I was like, all right, cool. And then he was there after. And I started talking to him. And he sat there and chatted with me for like 15 minutes about the draft and the Warriors. Just me and him. And it was awesome. And then that's right before he actually did that Q&A with Colin, which is why he knew my name. He's like, I know JJ does a good job, but I want your bag or whatever. Because he had just done me that, that was the highlight of the of the whole who who I heard from and who I got to meet because you know I've been a Warrior fan since I was a kid. I mean, and those championships he's won in the last five years. I, I have to follow up with that. Like, how how cool was that fifteen minute exchange? I mean, stuff like that doesn't happen that often, you know, in general. It was right? awesome. Talk, no, yeah, we talked about. I mean, I told him, you know, I grew up going to games. I used to go to games his rookie year. I went to a bunch of games and him and Monte Ellis were on the team. And 
Um, Cal Club. Yeah, he's a member at the Cal Club, and he loves golf, obviously. And we talked golf. We talked basketball and just about the team and the future and, you know, the COVID and all this stuff. And he's, he's, he's enjoying his break, you know. Seven years of playoff runs in a row is – takes a toll on even the best athletes in the world. So he's getting a nice break and so are all the other guys. So he's excited, I think, for, for what's to come in the future for the team and hopefully get that number one draft pick and, you know, can't say who they're going to take, but. Definitely, man. Hey, that, that's awesome. What a cool experience in so many ways, so many layers to that Sunday for you. Very happy for you, JJ. And hey, thanks for coming on, be on the clubhouse with me. Yeah, no problem, Garrett. Thank you. All right, and my thanks to Colin Morikawa's caddy, J.J. Jakovec. What a fun interview, huh? Well, really good insight, really good detail on the celebration, on what they've been up to. I love it. Champagne in the Wanamaker, one of the biggest, probably what, the biggest trophy in golf? Right up there, right? I'm sure that's been a heck of a party that they had, a hell of a party um, on the Tuesday night after the win. So really fun stuff, and I, I just liked the story with Steph Curry and getting to spend time. This is a lifelong warrior fan. What a moment. Here you are in Northern California, where you're from, 50 miles from where you grew up. How often is there going to be a major championship that close to where, I mean, this is the closest Harding park and, and Olympic are the absolute closest. So what a storybook in that way for, for JJ, just pump for him, man. I mean, what, what a cool moment. What a cool setting and of course, just to, I don't know if that's the conversation with his dad and the coach for Morikawa and, and how they got to connect and just, just awesome and, and real genuine, real stuff from JJ Jakovic. So hope you enjoyed it. And again, my thanks to JJ. You can follow me on Twitter at Johnston Garrett. Would love to get some more questions here. I didn't get a chance to include them this time, but I will keep asking. Uh, I'll get them in the next pod for sure. You, I think you know my next guest. Really, really good PGA Tour player coming up. But yeah, you can follow me on Instagram as well, at Garrett Johnston Golf. And of course, Beyond the Clubhouse has its Twitter account, at Beyond Clubhouse. And I, I, let's keep this going. I'm, I'm really fired up. I think there's a lot of good content to be had right here. And this, this stretch of the schedule is awesome, right? we got the playoffs coming up. And we've got major championships with the U.S. Open, the Masters after that, well, back in November. So there's a lot to look forward to, and there's a lot to chat about. So let's, let's get into this, and let's, uh, let's keep this going. So hope you guys had fun. I, that was a hell of a week at the PJ championship. I'm pumped for guys like Scott Van Pelt and of course, Jim Nance and, and all those regulars got to be out there. It was first time on site in, 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 since the restart for the likes of Nick Faldo and Ian Baker Finch and, and a lot of those guys as well. So anyway, really a lot of fun to, to see so many people gathered together. Of course I was on site and I loved walking the course and, and spending time out there. Um, Really, it's the closest tournament, closest major that ever gets uh, to, to my hometown in Sacramento. So 80, 90 miles away. So I can empathize with JJ in that in that regard. But anyway, anyway, stay tuned. I, I love having you guys listen, and, and we'll catch up again soon on Beyond the Clubhouse. <laughs>